Father, we thank you, God, that we can come before you knowing that you're a faithful God, God, that we can put our trust in you. So, Father, this morning we just come before you and we just ask, God, that you just continue to speak to our hearts, God, as we hear your word this morning. God, let us be, just draw closer to you, God, as we hear your word spoken to us, Lord. God, we love you. We thank you for your presence. God, we thank you for your goodness. God, this morning we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the cross. God, we thank you for the forgiveness that we have in you, that we can stand here before you. God, we love you so much, and we just ask all these things in Jesus' name. Can't do without the water bottle. So, a um, lot of announcements this morning, and I'm going to add to the mix and also remind you of one of the others that was already up there. This, it truly is a season when we can be um, involved in touching a lot of people in a lot of different ways. <clears throat> so, here is the new one that just came to our attention uh, a little bit earlier this week without time to get it into the announcements. Here in uh, East Parker County, the Safe Harbor Counseling Center is one of the ministries that our church helps to underwrite and help support through regular contributions. They are moving to new facilities uh, in Weatherford. Um, their deadline date, I think, for their move is first Saturday in December. But they need some volunteer help for just a lot of different jobs as they make this move. Um, at their current facility, where they are now that they're vacating, they actually need boxes. And they need people to help just stuff boxes with stuff um, and with the packing. And at the new facility, as it's in the process of getting ready uh, for the uh, certificate of occupancy, they need just little things like paint trim, uh, some basic cleanup work, some cosmetic touch-up and things of that nature. And so they will take volunteer help from now until December 1st. And I believe that's a Sunday, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so if you're interested, please call. Numbers should be on the screen. There they are. Yep. Two phone numbers. Uh, it's just a great opportunity for you to do a little bit locally to help out one of our ministry partners. And we will be running this ad, uh, let's see, today's the 17th, so maybe two more Sundays, uh, just to keep reminding you. Then also, I just want to re-underscore and uh, repeat again the announcement about our commitment to Center of Hope for sweet potatoes. What's, what's a can of sweet potatoes nowadays? $1.49, $1.69, two for five? I don't know what it is. Can of sweet potatoes. We've got the one box that's right here by this entry. I haven't been to the office yet. Uh, we counted, there's a couple of dozen out here, uh, it looks like, maybe at the uh, entrance over here. So please just go by your next time you go to, um, I shouldn't endorse a store, should I? A grocery store of your choice. Uh, just get an extra can, you know, big old hunking can. Or if you want to get that, what's that big one? You know, it's about like that. That'll count for two for your, your eternal glory. And uh, bring it up and just leave it in right up in here. All right, so um, I'm kind of wondering if I should kind of go wave to Lee, wherever he is, maybe his first cup of coffee this morning if he's streaming our service. Uh, it's certainly an honor any time that um, uh, I'm invited to come and to share a little bit of God's Word with uh, anyone, but especially with our church family. And I do appreciate uh, the invitation from Brother Lee. I uh, do have to start out with a little bit of transparency, however. Um, back in the day when I was taking my preaching classes back in seminary, don't ask how long ago it was, it was several decades ago. Um, you know, there's several principles that the 
uh, preaching professors give you about how to construct a good sermon and all this kind of stuff, and then there's the delivery of the sermon and so forth. And so they start out by talking about the form of it, and the form has to include uh, a good introduction, a good explanation, good application, you know, all that kind of stuff. Get your illustrations in there, and uh, maybe a test for some of our older ones in, in the group here, older Southern Baptists. You remember kind of the little sort of a tongue-in-cheek joke that was said about a good sermon? It always has to have, well, sort of. We, I hear three points in a prayer. It's three points in a poem. You know, got to have something to do with that. But they also say that you need to have a good, attractive title, you know. And think about it. If you're in a bookstore and you're shopping around and looking, what's one of the things that, that grabs you? It's really probably the first thing. If you're just kind of browsing, you don't really have something you're really looking for, you see a title and it's either... Uh, captivating because of the, the literalism of what it says, and you go, I need to see a little bit more about this. Or it's, it's intriguing. It kind of leaves you with a little bit of a question like, huh, I wonder where the author is going with this one. So you pull it out, and you get the title, and then you start looking into the contents a little bit. Well, I'll never forget the first time I turned in our first sermonic um, assignment to the professor, and he always would kind of get you you know, in sort of a, a semi-private session to say, okay, here, let's critique this a little bit. And I'll still remember to this day him saying, Mr. Seabury, you really need to work on your titles. And I'm like, well, I thought it was pretty good. He said, no, no, it's not really that good. You need to work on that just a little bit. So this sermon has really been bubbling and simmering in me for about a month. I think Lee asked me, it's pretty close to about a month ago, if I would preach this day. And uh, very quickly, I mean, can't tell you how quickly, it was really, really quickly, the text came to mind. And as it's been simmering over these last few weeks, um, it, was, it was no doubt in my mind, this was what God wanted me to share with y'all today. But that title, it just like, okay, maybe, no, that's, that's too silly. Maybe, no, that doesn't speak to it or anything. So guess what your assignment is today? You give it your own title. I don't care what you call it. Now, I do have to confess, too, that for the discussion guide for the small groups, I had to put a title on it. So I may stray so far away from whenever you see the discussion guide when your small group meets, you'll look at it and go, that's not what he said the other night. But you, you supply it as much as you want to. So where did God take me when, this, uh, when Brother Lee gave me the invitation? Um, I confess that it's been a, a, uh, a book and a particular scripture out of the book that has been intriguing to me for decades. I find myself going back to it often. Um, I don't have a psychiatrist to explain to me why I go back to it often, but it's, it's just intriguing. And I think one of the things about this particular title or this particular topic is that it's so human. I mean, it is absolutely... Now, let me... I admit, there's humanity all through the Bible. Everybody agree? I mean, you cannot read the Bible without seeing true, authentic, raw humanity. Uh, it's not like a fable. It's not like a legend. It is real stories of real people uh, in real-life situations. But there's something about this particular book, this particular gentleman, this particular prophet that I just keep going back to. And it's, here comes your, your test now to find it in your, in your Bibles, Habakkuk. 
Where in the world is Habakkuk? Well, it's right after Nahum. Where in the world is Nahum? Well, it's in, the, it's in that middle part, you know, the minor prophets. And so as we go through the prophecy, the, the oracle, the words of Habakkuk, I hope you'll find some degree of your encounter with God as we see Habakkuk and his own encounter with God. Now, just a little bit of a background, not much. I mean, we could stay for a long time on backgrounds. But I think the key thing to remember as you uh, read Habakkuk's words is that this was a time of, uh, to call it great upheaval, is probably too uh, soft of a word to use. Uh, it was tremendous upheaval. Uh, Habakkuk is roughly in the time of Jeremiah, and uh, as you have read and thought and studied about Jeremiah, you'll remember that um, it was the time of the growing decline and demise of the southern kingdom. Well, what's the southern kingdom? Well, we're going to find out someday soon, I'm not sure when, when Lee gets to the end of the life of David, that uh, you know, the, the kingdom was, was one kingdom. David dies. Sorry about that. Spoiler alert. Um, but then his son Solomon takes over the same kingdom. Unfortunately, at Solomon's death, um, it just all goes wild. Uh, it splits apart. The kingdom splits apart. It's a civil war. You get the northern kingdom, southern kingdom. Northern kingdom of Israel, southern kingdom of Judah. And um, uh, the, the rest of the, the days of those kingdoms are just typified by horrible leadership. Uh, it'd be a great time for us to study that someday, too. But the northern kingdom has already fallen. It, it had fallen about 150 years prior to Habakkuk's time. And um, the pressure was mounting, and the, the, the nation of Judah was just getting worse and worse and worse and worse. Now, I, I give you that little bit of the background because when you start reading the very first words of Habakkuk, it implies a, a significant backstory that if you're not aware of it, it's kind of like, well, where did this come from? The very first words are these. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you don't listen? Or cry out, violence, but you don't save? Well, just reading those first two words in the NIV, how long, oh Lord, how long, what does that suggest? He has been crying out for help and crying out for help and crying out for help and no answer and no answer and no answer and no answer. And right there, I stop, I pause, and I say, wow, how many times have I been in a situation like that too, where something has been going on and I have prayed because I'm a good Christian, I'm a good little Southern Baptist boy, I pray, but I don't get an answer. So I pray again, and I don't get an answer. And I pray again, ad infinitum and I don't get an answer. All of a sudden, Habakkuk is not a guy writing. Habakkuk is my, my brother right beside me. How long, Lord, am I going to call out for help but you don't listen? And then it's kind of suggests to me, Lord, why aren't you listening? Do you just not even hear me? Am I, am I not loud enough? Uh, am I not doing it with enough emotion? Am I not using the right language? I mean, what's going on here, Lord? How long do I have to keep doing this? 
but you're not listening. And he adds, crying out, violence. Just the one word, again, in the NIV. Violence. But you're not saving me from this. Wow. That hits. That hits, and that hits hard. Now, one thing we do need to make sure we understand, too, is he's basically doing the flip of what happens to the prophets frequently. Frequently, if you read the other minor prophets or even the major ones, it's God who has a message who transmits it to the prophet in saying, pass it along to the people. This is the opposite. This is Habakkuk being the spokesperson for the people and saying to God, I've got something to say to you. How long am I going to keep speaking and saying this to you for the people that you said they are your people, they're your prized possession, but you're not listening? Now it gets kind of dicey, doesn't it? Have you ever done that to God? Don't have to answer. In fact, I don't want you to answer. I want you to just let it reflect in your own mind. Is that fair for us to go to God with that kind of of a question with that kind of a complaint. You know, in the Bible, when the translators put these into words and into phrases and sentences and so forth, they put punctuation marks because Hebrew doesn't have punctuation. They have to supply it themselves. So there's a question mark here which says to me it's a question, but it's not really a question. It's a complaint. It's a complaint. Do you have the right? Do I have the right to complain at God? Do I have the right to complain at God? I think the answer is both yes and no. The answer is no because he is God. But the answer also is yes because of our relationship with God. And that's the thing that I keep seeing as I read this about Habakkuk is that on the surface, it's just a conversation. But deeper down, this shows a conversation that is intimate and it's personal. This is not a man talking to a force. It's not a man talking to a power. It's a man talking to a person. Now, they are not on the same levels. Yes, we understand that. But I take a great deal of comfort from that in knowing that the God of the universe, the God who gave me my very breath, will allow me to have this level of conversation with him. Now, Habakkuk's not the first one to have this kind of conversation. There are others in the Bible that have had discussions and questions and answers with God. Uh, another one of my favorites that I'd love to share with some other time in the future is when Moses was burning bush. And, uh, you know, he, it, it's a very personal, very significant time for Moses to con- converse with God and give him some, some excuses and so forth and so on. I'll get into the story, let y'all read it, Exodus. Um, but uh, it's very personal. And it is permitted. So I don't know where this will take you as you have your life situations. But this is not an unusual circumstance for us to be able to say to God, God, how long? You're just not here. I'm just not hearing from you. But God does answer, doesn't he? And we're not going to read the details of what Uh, Habakkuk said, but as you read through verses 3 and 4, the slides may be up on the screen, it talks about what the situation was like in Judah at that time and why he he was saying, why aren't you listening to us? But God does give an answer. 
All right, now, get ready to tap the brakes a little bit because he does give an answer. He says, I'm going to answer. Stand back and watch. I'm going to give you an answer that is totally and completely amazing. In fact, I'm going to give you an answer that even if the nations could tell you, you wouldn't believe me if I told you about it in advance. Okay? Now, you know the story, so just bear with me a little bit. Here's Habakkuk, and he's, he's out of sorts. And he says, when are you going to answer me? Seriously, God, when are you going to answer me? And God says, okay, I'll give you an answer. Here comes your answer. Now, you, you better step back a little bit. You might want to sit down for this answer. You know, it's going to totally blow your mind. And you're going, all right, I'm ready for my answer. God's going to save us. And then his answer is, I'm going to send the most wicked nation that has ever existed up to this time to take care of this problem. That's your answer. You hear the screech of the brakes? As Habakkuk goes, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not what I wanted to hear. I wanted to hear beauty. I wanted to hear goodness. I wanted to hear something else. And just to give you a little idea of who these people were, the Babylonians, just let your eyes wander. I purposely didn't want to put the, the verses up on the screen. Let your eyes wander, wander rather, uh, verses 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11, and I'll, I'll tell you a few of the words that came to mind as I'm looking at it. And again, I'm using the NIV. They're called ruthless. They're impetuous. These people are feared. They're dreaded. They're law unto themselves. They're self-promoting. They're fierce. They're formidable military machine. They're mockers, scoffers, seemingly unstoppable. They are guilty people whose own strength is their God. And so you see why Habakkuk comes back and says, this is your answer? If this is your salvation, I don't want to see your punishment. This is ridiculous. And so then Habakkuk comes back to him. And I want to read verse 13 very carefully. And then back up to 12. Verse 13 your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? Why are you using this method? Now, fair question? Nod your heads. Sure. That's a very fair question. You ask for an answer... You get an answer. It's not what you expect. So why not say to God, well, I, I don't understand. Why are you using this particular method? But here is something that is so significant. It is the foundation, the background through which Habakkuk can ask that question, and it's verse 12. I kind of wish he had flipped it, you know, written 13 first and then 12. But look how he addresses this person that he's conversing with. Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute just judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punishment. 
Just pull out those descriptors of God. Everlasting, the Holy One, the Rock, Lord, Purity. You see, what we think about God is so significant when we are talking about things in our lives and we want to address God. You see, he started with a very firm foundation. He, started, he already had that foundation, by the way. He didn't just develop it right then. That was who he was. And he recognized, God, I'm not... I'm not going to turn away from you. You're my rock. You're my salvation. You're my Lord. You're eternal. You're from all eternity. You're pure. Why in the world are you using this particular method? And I read through this over and over. I looked at several commentaries. You know, a lot of different things. Looked at different versions. You know what God's answer was? He didn't give an answer. He didn't say, well, let me tell you, Habakkuk, I'm using this method because he doesn't do that. He just simply starts recounting. Now remember, Habakkuk is recording these words to share with the people. And so starting in verse 14, all the way down almost to the end of the chapter, we start seeing what God is going to do to the Babylonians. So his answer is there. But what we're getting to is the real point of this entire conversation between Habakkuk and God, this this complaints and answers. They're honest, they're straightforward, they're fair, and they recognize God for who He is. So if you get to that point where you're asking God, God, why? Why this answer? We need to understand very clearly from Habakkuk that God is going to take care of it. And part of his answer comes in chapter 2, verse 2. He starts out by saying, Habakkuk, write this revelation down. Write it down. Make it plain on tablets so that a herald can run with it. In other words, what I'm telling you now, I want you to write it down. I want you to write it down very clearly so that the message can be spread to all others to hear. Remember, Habakkuk is interceding between God and the people. Take it, Habakkuk, and you run with it, and you share it with these people so that they'll understand who I am. And then, verse 3. My desire for you would be for verse 3 to sink into you and to hang on to it and to hold on to it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. The revelation, God's answers, have an appointed time. They have a time when they are going to be fulfilled. Even though it lingers at the latter part of that verse, wait for it. It will certainly come and it will not delay. Is there a better way to hang on to our answers from God in those times when we feel like God's just a little bit silent or that God answers in a way that we're not comfortable with? Wait on it. Wait on it. It will come. And then I would think if it were me writing this, I would stop right there, but I don't. But Habakkuk doesn't. 
Because chapter 3 is, I think, the normal response in a conversation like this. And that is where Habakkuk goes into an extended time of prayer and praise. I invite you to take this uh, this afternoon, probably the best time since it's so fresh, and read through Habakkuk 3. Start with verse 1, just read through it. Look at how Habakkuk is praising God, the things that he is recognizing in God. And that's who he becomes. That's who he is. That's his understanding of how God is in control. And then the very ending of it is where I am today. And I hope where you are going to be, if you're not, or that you are yourself. Because he says, even though... And he lists out things that were common in his world. Even though the fig tree doesn't bud and there's no grapes on the vines, even though the crop, olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, even though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Is there any better way to live our lives than to say, I don't understand I don't understand your silence. I don't understand your answer. But I do know you. I do know that you're the rock, that you are my salvation. And I do know that despite everything that comes my way, I will rejoice in you. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Now, a couple of weeks ago... um, Philip led the worship team in a song that many of us do know. And this song came up while uh, this sermon was simmering and, and God was just working on me to, to share this particular sermon. And I don't know about you, but uh, I tend to sometimes in our, our worship songs, I'll focus more on the melodies. You know, I want to make sure that I get the melodies right. And I, I hear the words, I see the words. And I understand the words, but what if we divorce the the melody from the words? Here's the words that the worship uh, team brought to us a couple weeks ago. I count on one thing. The same God that never fails will not fail me now. You won't fail me now in the waiting. The same God who's never late is working all things out. You're working all things out. Yes, I will. Lift you high in the lowest valley. Oh, yes, I will. Sing for joy when my heart is heavy. All my days, yes, I will. So here's the question. Steve, you... We, what is your lowest valley? What's the lowest valley that you've been through? What's the lowest valley you're going to go through? Well, you know the one, but you don't know the other. And it's because of the way you went through the one and the way that I went through the one that I can stand here and say, to the future. When that next lowest valley comes, I will rejoice in you, my Lord and my Savior. 
Yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy. Not because I love the situation I'm in, but because of who is in control of the situation. So what I'd like to ask you to do is to simply be quiet for a second if you feel like bowing, if you feel like kneeling, if you feel, whatever you feel like doing. And Philip is going to remind us musically. Thank you. 